there's a lot of pinch cool. me moments that, yeah, you know, I never imagined that Coach Holtz would write four words for my books. I never imagined that I would be friends with people like Tony Rice and Tim Brown. And, you know, it's just That's awesome, incredible. And, and the people that I've met, I, I got to spend an afternoon with Arab Parsegian. I got uh-huh. to spend an afternoon with Johnny Latner. I mean, the mm-hmm. people that I've met that <laughs> I never crazy. in a million years. You heard that there. That's author Lisa Kelly talking about how amazing it is that her journey as an author about the University of Notre Dame has led her to meeting all types of different legends associated with the university. More of that later, but first. Welcome to Round the Bend Now and Then, a podcast that shines a light on the South Bend and Mishawaka areas past and present. Through interviews with local business owners, leaders, and community members, our listeners and I learn together about all of the great people and great things going on in our community. As we also learn about South Bend and Mishawaka's history and how intertwined our past is with our present. Over the past few years that I've had the Round the Bend 574 Twitter account, I've found that there are just some people that I follow that stand out as interesting, engaging, or even inspiring, and you look forward to reading what they have to say. One of those people that I've come to enjoy is Lisa Kelly. Her Twitter handle is at fourleafclovergirl. If you read many of Lisa's tweets or look at her Twitter account, you'll learn instantly that she bleeds blue and gold and absolutely loves Notre Dame. And anyone who loves Notre Dame is a friend of mine. By following Lisa on social media, you'll also learn that she is an author and has written numerous books about Notre Dame. She started with the Echoes from Notre Dame book series, where she interviewed Notre Dame football players and other athletes and shared how their varied experiences being a student athlete at Notre Dame has helped them throughout their personal and professional journeys. Since this is a South Bend and Mishawaka area-related podcast, Notre Dame is absolutely and obviously weaved into our fabric. And selfishly, I'm a huge Notre Dame fan and have been since birth. And some of the people that Lisa interviewed are some of the players that I looked up to as a kid. Among others, Tim Brown and Tony Rice. I wanted to learn more, so I reached out to Lisa to hear about her journey writing the books. She so graciously agreed to come on and meet with me virtually from her home in Missouri. And let me tell you, <laughs> there must be about 28 hours in a day for Lisa, because as you'll hear, she is one busy person. And you'll also hear that her story is a true one thing leads to another journey. But one thing wouldn't lead to another if Lisa didn't dive right in, take a few risks, and follow her passions. In this episode, you'll hear that even though her family moved around a bit as a kid, the University of Notre Dame was always a household name, and that led her to attend Notre Dame, and from there, a lifelong love of the university has led to her writing multiple books about it. You'll also hear that Notre Dame and writing are only a part of her life, as she has a career in advertising, she's a mom, a loving wife, who has supported her husband over the years as he has ran firework stands, haunted houses, 
recently purchased a restaurant, and even bought and currently runs a zoo. Even with all of these things going on in her world, a constant in her life has been Notre Dame. And it was such a pleasure to talk to Lisa and share that common love of good old Notre Dame. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to try something a bit different on this episode. Instead of me always chiming in between every single question to tell you what you'll hear next, I'll only chime in when I feel it can add something to the story by sharing any additional information or by sharing any of my thoughts. Now, back to our episode and my talk with Lisa Kelly, and I hope you'll learn that with hard work, passion, taking risks, and a little luck of the Irish, that anything is possible. Before we dive into your books and everything, just tell us a little bit about yourself, just your background, your family and all that. Yeah. um, Growing up, we moved around a lot. I call myself Uh a corporate brat and not a Navy brat because it was (laughs) military based. My dad was a brewmaster is what eventually came to be. So we lived in five states by the time I was 10. So, you know, got to see a lot of the country. We lived in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Missouri, California, so kind of all over. Um, When I was 10, we moved to California. You know, my dad discovered I was kind of a smart kid, and so he was Uh pushing me toward Notre Dame, which was his alma mater. I applied to 10 schools. I wanted to do aerospace engineering. I got into (laughs) eight of the 10 schools and the two Uh I didn't get into were the two in California. At that point, I knew I wasn't staying at home because I didn't get, yeah, time to (laughs) fly the coop. And um, Uh the last school I got into was Notre Dame. I got my acceptance letter on April Fool's Day and I thought my mom was pranking me. Yeah. She literally had to open it in front of me and read it to me because I thought it was some big joke. And I kept telling her, that's really cruel. You know, right. told me I got a letter and I didn't have a letter. I had a letter and I got in and and that uh-huh. was it. I, I had gotten early admittance to Purdue. Um, and that was okay. really kind of where I was headed till I got the letter from Notre Dame. Yeah. And then <laughs> as I'm holding saved. up a Hoosier shirt yeah. here. <laughs> Once you graduated from Notre Dame, your career path, talk to me. Yeah. So uh, while I was a student at Notre Dame, my parents moved from Los Angeles to St. Louis. At the time, he was with Anheuser-Busch, so they wanted him back at corporate headquarters. I Mm -hmm. didn't have enough money to move back to L.A. by myself, and I, you know, settled in St. Louis started out. When I graduated, the job market was just awful. I got a job that first year with the Better Business Bureau and Mm -hmm. I was doing like complaint resolution. So somebody called in, (laughs) they had a complaint and I was trying to make both parties happy. So after a year of that, I got my first advertising job and I did advertising for about 13 years. Uh-huh. And then from there, I moved on. I got kind of into the digital space. So I learned how to program in HTML. 
I did copywriting for email newsletters. I did that for a couple of years. Uh-huh. I did marketing research for a couple of years. And then Ooh. in 2014, I landed at Purina, which is where I am mm-hmm. now. I started in their social media department. So I was mm-hmm. the begging strips dog on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> nice. Super fun. I got to talk about dogs and bacon all day long. I mean, how did <laughs> go wrong? I did right. that for a couple of years. Then they moved me into the web department where I kind of uh-huh. worked on all of our brand websites. And now I'm in e-commerce. So I've been uh-huh. on the retail side of e-commerce for about five years. And I just moved over to the brand side. So I will be in charge of helping develop best-in-class content for e-commerce for a number of our brands. You just never know where life will take you. One thing leads to another, and all of a sudden, you're the begging strips dog on social media. But to me, her professional journey is a testament to how important it is that we never stop growing our skill set. Speaking of skill set, This is the 16th episode of Now and Then Round the Bend. And by the time this next round of episodes have been released, seven of the guests have authored a book. Now, of these folks who have written books, only two of them actually made a career out of writing in the newspapers. The others all had other professions, and they wrote because they were passionate about their subjects. And I'm always curious to know how folks get the writing itch. As far as writing goes, have you always had an itch with the pen? Like kind of as you grew up as a a young lady and and throughout, or has that been something more recent? I've enjoyed writing. I think I was in about fifth grade and a friend of Uh mine, we wrote a children's book together. We had done the illustrations and we actually had it bound. We have like one copy of it that we had bound. And it was about a little girl who was born on leap year, on leap day, you know? So Uh it has that kind of weird reality of you only have a birthday every so many years. That was a lot of fun. Um, I knew when I went to college. So when I got to Notre Dame, I Mm -hmm. started aerospace engineering and that mm-hmm. lasted a year, and I just <laughs> found out very quickly that engineering was not where was I wanted your bag? to be. No. Um, the first day of chemistry, they told us, look left, look right, at the end of the year, one of you will be uh. gone. That was me, you know? Um, and then wow. I just, I didn't know. That's what positive. I That's real it's, positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A third of us. <laughs> dropped out of engineering and most of us landed in the business school because I didn't okay. know what I wanted to do. But my dad kind of nudged me into the business school and I, mm-hmm. I'm i very creative. I'm good at math, but I'm very creative, which I think is why I did really well at HTML because it's a lot of math and it's very okay. creative. So uh-huh. he nudged me into marketing and you know I absolutely love that. I also realized as a business major that you Mm -hmm. have to communicate in everything that you do. So I stacked my electives with English classes because if you Uh don't know how to write and send a letter, send an email today, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to be successful at business. So I really, I didn't have enough to get a minor 
just because I switched majors, you know? Right. But I right. did stack a lot of English. I, I ended up senior year, I, some friend of mine talked me into taking a 400 level French and English women's writers English class. And the whole Ooh. class was all English majors and French majors and then me. And the professor <laughs> just loved me because I had stepped way outside of my comfort zone and That's ended great. up loving the class. But I, I knew that I wanted to make sure that I could communicate well and right. that that would only lead to success in the business world. So I read on your website that uh, a little story about a writing contest to determine the biggest fan of the Big East. Now, is that was that the catalyst to you writing your first book? That was really what kind of pushed me over the edge. So okay, I I had a job as um, a copywriter. I was doing uh-huh. email marketing, and um, the economy kind of crashed in that two thousand eight two thousand nine bubble, and okay. my boss had let me go. And uh-huh. I was trying to find my next job. I decided that I wanted to build my toolbox. So mm-hmm. I got into social media and I started a blog and kind of expanded off of the traditional marketing, you know, in the business world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a message on Twitter from this gentleman that said, hey, we're doing this contest for biggest fan of the Big East Conference. So uh-huh. this was 2011. So when I lost okay. my job in 2009, I had started a blog. And my blog's name was Bridget McGuire's Filling Station. Named <laughs> after the bar in South Bend. Oh, yeah. May have, oh, yeah. you know, uh, been at a time or two. Right. And my blog started out as just kind of a hodgepodge of marketing best packs practices and mom life and then of course you know I talked a little Notre Dame football here and there and as the blog kind of evolved it became more football and more football and so Uh by the time they reached out to me in 2011 it it was a lot of football and Uh so they asked me to join this contest and what what the requirements were you had to be a blogger of your school and you had to be an alum. So they okay. collected one blogger from every school and somehow I was the one that got selected to represent Notre Dame. They, so there were 16 schools in the Big East Conference. They right. invited 10 men and six women to join uh-huh. the contest. They flew us all to New York City for media day at the New York City Athletic Club. We were treated like actual members of the media, you know, and for (laughs) a bunch of bloggers, you know, they rolled out the red carpet for us. And then what the contest was, every two weeks, they would give us a mandatory writing assignment that everyone wrote, and then they would grade us on our content. They also... Um, we had to promote ourselves on social media. So that was getting graded. And then there was a voting aspect. So I'm pushing this link on people. Hey, vote for me as biggest fan of the Big East Conference. And then I told Notre Dame, hey, I'm in this contest. 
you know, can you help me out? They were great. Right, right. They, they had my picture on the big, on the jumbotron. Yeah. Vote for Four Leaf Clover Girl as biggest fan <laughs> of the biggest conference. They gave me a flip cam, let me video document the weekend. And then uh-huh. their video people edited it, put it together, pushed it out everywhere, trying to get people to vote for me. I mean, that's cool. I was really the only person in the contest who had the support of my university, yeah. which was priceless. I mean, Huge. I couldn't. Yeah. So we get to the end of the contest. It's like the week before the Big East tournament and they're grading, you know, how many votes we got, how do we promote ourselves on social media, what did all of our stories look like. So they took the four of us that had the most votes. We we made the final four. So it was me, uh-huh. Villanova, St. John, Cincinnati. It was three guys and me. And then because of all those extra stories I wrote, I was mm-hmm. crowned the winner. They flew me and a plus one to New York City. Wow. They gave us money to sp- like spending money at a hotel. And then we got tickets to the championship game. And then on center court of Madison Square Garden. So <laughs> they have me sitting with the CEO of Volvo. You can see where this is going. And then at halftime on center court, he presented me with the keys to my brand new Volvo. Wow. That's crazy. It's just one of those things, though, where you could have said no, but you dove in and did it. Yeah, it was incredible. I learned so much about Notre Dame. I learned a lot about basketball. I learned Uh a lot about myself. You know, most importantly there, too in that transition and so imagine there if she would have said nah i don't feel like doing that or there's no way that i'll win instead she dove right in put her all into it and it paid off next you'll hear the very beginning stages of how our book series formed and once again it's a one thing leads to another type journey So, you know, I started thinking about the media tends to dwell on the negative stories. So you're going to hear about the kid who cheated on a final and got suspended for a semester. Or you hear about the NFL player who drags his girlfriend out of an elevator. These are the quick hits that you see so often in the media. And there's so many positive stories that never get told. So my goal was, I'm going to start a series on my blog called Where Are They Now? That's going to be a look back at, you know, I'm going to reach out to an athlete and the interviews consisted of, hey, you know, tell me a little about growing up. How did you get into Mm -hmm. sports? Um, What was your college search like? How did you end up at Notre Dame? And then, you know, tell me more about what your experience was like at Notre Dame. Uh-huh. Did you play professionally? And then we round everything out with, okay, where are you now? You know, where yeah. did your after sports transition go? And then I always rounded up every interview with, can you give me three to five lessons that you can share with a young athlete or a young adult mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe you can save them from making the same mistakes that you did? 
or just some words of wisdom. And so every story kind of turned into this great positive storytelling Mm -hmm. and a learning experience. And, you know, not every story is a happy story, right? These guys, you know, when you're talking about football players and then I expanded to other sports, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like really tough things that happen growing up or even in college or in first jobs, you trusted somebody that maybe you shouldn't have. And so even with some cautionary tales thrown in there, Right. I always found a way to make a positive spin because there's mm-hmm. always a silver lining to everything. And if mm-hmm. you are grateful and you look, you know, you keep a positive mindset, right? Like, that's well, it. It was great. So the first person I interviewed with was Oscar McBride. He was um, a year younger than me, and he and I had kind of reconnected. And so I reached out to him and said, I've got this idea for a uh-huh. series on my blog. Would you like to be my first, you know, guinea pig here? Right. And he said, yes. Um, I interviewed him and then it probably had like 2000 page views on my blog, which I was super excited. Yeah. And then the next guy I interviewed was Rick Meyer. He was the quarterback oh, yeah. in my class. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. his story had 10,000 page views. Just his name alone, you know. Yeah. So So very quickly, it just started to snowball. And I so I did my first interview in May of 2011. Or no, May of 2012. Between Uh May of 2012 and January of 2013, I interviewed 32 football players. It was crazy because I'd interview a guy and then be like, hey, who can you introduce me to? And then he would introduce me to the next person and then he would introduce and it just, oh, I've got a great person you need to talk to. Do you know so-and-so? Here, here's his number. Give him a call. And it was crazy how that brotherhood welcomed me in. I mean, a lot of these guys... I'm cold calling people like Tim Brown. You yeah. didn't know me <laughs> before all of this, but now these people are friends of mine and they're super supportive and they travel with me to do book signings. I mean, that's so you, cool. And that yeah. was one of my questions. It was next was like, how in the world did you arrange all, you know, all these things? And you just answered it like somewhere. It just snowballed word of mouth cold call, taking the risk and just saying, hey, I'm sending people messages on social media. You know, (laughs) I mean, any way I could get to somebody. So that's like me in this podcast. I just randomly and the the original guests who came on who hadn't even who I had to sell on a vision, really, you know, like, thank God that they took the risk, you know, (laughs) and thank God these gentlemen did as well for you. Yeah. Again, you never know what's going to happen unless you dive right in and put yourself in a position. Lisa continues describing the seeds of her book publishing next. So it's January of 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, Notre Dame's undefeated. They're playing Alabama for the national Mm -hmm. championship. And one of the 
football players that I interviewed said, why don't you turn this into a book? Uh-huh. And I told him, I don't know anything about writing a book. You know, I don't have the foggiest idea of how to start this. Challenge. And he <laughs> says, it's okay. He said, I'm an author. Um, the gentleman was Marv Russell. He played in the 70s. He was a linebacker. Uh-huh. He had written a book called From Linebacker to the Boardroom. And he said, well, I've written a book. I would love to be your writing coach. I will teach you how to write a book. And that's what we wow. did. Wow. He coached me. So this was January. We wrote the book in February and March. We okay. edited in April and May. We set it to the publisher June 1st. I had a book Ooh. in my hand in August. It yes. wow. was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, and, and basically, that's what the book the books are. Is you, you interview dozens and dozens of former football players and then athletes and just sharing some lessons of that they learned on, on and off the field. I mean. Yeah. The first book had 25 chapters in it. That's it, yeah. The echo, the first one, yeah. Yeah. So I interviewed 32 guys, but I only put 25 in the first book. So I uh-huh. already knew there was going to be a second book because <laughs> I had a bunch of Bruce egos that were very upset. Why didn't I make it in the first book? You know, how, how do you tell somebody you've got to wait, you know? But know. that just meant that the second book was already a third of the way done. So the mm. first book had 25 chapters. The second book has 30 chapters because I kept... Someone kept saying, oh, no, wait, you have to interview this guy. Oh, wait, no, you have to include this one. You know, and then again, where, where do you cut people off? Right. And the last guy that slid into book two ended up being the most incredible story, I think, that I told ever. And I Who's almost that? told him no. His name is Pat Fallon. He played okay. on the 88 championship team. It's uh-huh. an incredible story. Um, but yeah, he almost didn't make it in there. And then after I interviewed him, I hung up the phone, called the girl who made the introduction and said, thank you for being relentless wow. and yes. pushing him yes. in. Because when I do public speaking events, his is one of the stories that I tell. It's just when you finish wow. it, you have goosebumps. and. I mean, he's just a remarkable man. I mean, they all are, wow. but right. you know, I hate I know to play some... favorites, but I have hey. a favorites. Hey, that's life, you know? <laughs> yeah. The majority of the folks that you, you had interviewed, a lot of them did not go on to have Brett or, you know, like Aaron Rodgers type NFL careers or anything. And a lot of them, they were done in their early 20s, like with football, and they had to make a life transition. Did any of them talk about difficulties transitioning into into uh, the next step of their lives? Almost all of them had difficulties. I mean, overwhelmingly, there's a very small minority, people like Pat Terrell. So when mm-hmm. Pat Terrell was playing for the Rams, he was learning to fly, getting his pilot's license. He was already transitioning to his next step while he was still Uh in the NFL. But that Mm -hmm. is super rare and doesn't happen very often. 
And, you know, like Oscar McBride talked about, he just went into a depression. Like he didn't, he wouldn't watch the NFL for years. He just wasn't ready and then was angry. And a lot of them, you know, they, their whole identity has been attacked. Exactly. So then how do you redefine who you are and what your purpose Mm -hmm. is when for 25 years of your life, you literally one sole purpose, which is to play this game that you love. Yep. And then suddenly, and sometimes it's very suddenly it's taken away from you and you involuntarily, right. (laughs) Whether it's an injury or you got traded, you know, there's, numerous ways that your career right. ends and they're not always on your term. <laughs> nope. Everybody cannot like be a Hall of Famer yeah. and to have that transition, but I'm I guarantee you that most of those gentlemen to have that foundation of Notre Dame, I'm sure that was uh, a catalyst for their success as well though. Well and as I wrote the stories, I found that there emerged a theme that almost appeared in every story. And that was that as you traveled along, and it's what I call the Notre Dame value stream, Uh the values that we learned as students, and it's not just Mm -hmm. athletes, it was all of us. What we learned at Notre Dame molded and shaped us into the men Mm. and women we became. And that's how the books got the title, The Men We Became, because that was, you know, everybody circled back to, well, I wouldn't be the man I am today had I not gone to Notre Dame, had I not had that professor or that priest or that coach that changed my life. And there's so many of those, oh my gosh, Notre Dame changed my life stories. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of athletes came from situations that weren't mm-hmm. ideal. And right. Notre Dame opened so many doors for them, both athletically and academically. And both of those pieces are so important at uh-huh. Notre Dame. We're not in Alabama. You have to go to class. You have to pass your classes. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's Expectations. Not, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're not easy. <laughs> No. (laughs) I mentioned earlier the names Tim Brown and Tony Rice and how my buddies and I as kids would look up to them. And as I'm sharing the story next, just think about being a 20, 21-year-old kid yourself and having all of that pressure on you. You have to wonder how you'd act. I have a little story here. So it was 1987 uh, and I was in fourth grade at Jefferson Elementary School here in South Bend. It is it, Jefferson is on Eddy Street, so yep. if it's probably two miles south of um, the university. And so um, I was in four, fourth grade there, Mrs. Eppert's class, and we had a student teacher who student taught at St. Mary's. And uh, so we took a field trip to St. Mary's one day, and there had to have been like 75, 80 of us little 10-year-olds running around. I think we're outside just throwing a ball around. I don't know. But then we see about half of these kids sprinting over towards a guy. And we run over there and it is Tim Brown. 
on on campus um, at St. Mary's, you know, across the way from Notre Dame. And I've, I mean, Notre Dame, I got chills thinking of just my childhood and, and following Notre Dame football and everything. So we instantly, we knew exactly who that was. And Tim Brown literally had 75 of us kids <laughs> lined up, lined up. And this man, this and man, signed this kid, every single one, every single one of them. Yep. <laughs> and you still have it <laughs> to this day to Matt, oh. best wishes, Tim Brown. Yeah. And and my buddies have the same autograph to Mark. Best wishes, Tim Brown, to this day. And and I that gets me thinking, first of all, how awesome that, that, that this Tim Brown, he was a kid at the time, 21, 22, that he took the time to line up all these little guys from Jefferson Elementary School. Well, and here's my Tim Brown story. So I, I interviewed Tim Brown. It's fall of 2012. Um, uh-huh. I must have interviewed him beginning of October, we get on the phone and I hear all this commotion in the background. And he says, can you hold for just a minute? I said, sure. <laughs> He's yelling at his kids, right? <laughs> Do you not see I am on the phone? <laughs> and he comes back on and I'm like, I'm so glad that I'm not the only parent. That as soon as you get on the phone, your kids are like, hey, 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 you know? And then we had this great interview. I was so nervous. I mean, of course, I'd be too. He was probably like the first really scary interview. It was just terrible. Yeah. And then, you know, we get off the call. My birthday was like two or three weeks later. So the Uh guy who had made the connection with Tim told Tim, hey, Lisa's birthday is. And then the first text I got on my birthday was from Tim Brown. <laughs> it wasn't your son, your daughter, your husband, no. your mom, dad, aunt, uncle. It was Tim Brown. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm like, I've made it. I've totally made it. And then the other really cool story about writing the first book was, uh-huh. so I get the first book written and I'm trying to figure out you know, what publishing company to use and get introductions to get into the bookstore and all these kinds of things. Right. And then they're asking me, uh, oh, do you have somebody to write a foreword? No, I've never done this before. Oscar <laughs> McBride says, well, why don't we ask Coach Holtz if he'll write the foreword? I'm like, I don't know Coach Holtz. Right. I met him. Coach came to our dorm, like our junior year, and did like a meet and greet with the girls of our dorm. Yeah. I mean, super nice. He went to every right, dorm. He talked to every That's student. That's cool. Like, you know, what he did in his spare time was amazing, let alone what he right. did on the field. So Oscar says, okay, we're going to send Coach, I'm going to send Coach the first five chapters so we sent an email to his admin and said, hey, you know, can you put this in front of Coach? So mm-hmm. she emails back and says, well, you know, Coach is really busy, but, you know, if you can write a forward and then send it to Coach and he will <laughs> kind of put his touch on it. And so I said to Oscar, well, you know Coach's voice better than I do. Oscar says, no problem. He mm. starts writing the forward. Before we can even 
finish writing the forward and send it to coach. He reads the five chapters, writes the forward, and sends it back. Oh, that's cool. I am just what, what? Oh, neat. like <laughs> just right. blown away and completely in tears because I never in a million years thought that coach would take time for a person right. like me who didn't even know, you know? Yes. But see, that's to me though, that's also that's just a lesson for us to to do the same thing for others as well. You know, like like if if I'm totally busy doing everything, you know, this and that. And then if somebody needs something of me, you know, just it's kind to just continue passing that along. Yep. And anytime anyone asks me, hey, can you give me some advice about self-publishing? I'm all over it. I have a whole document already prepared of what you know. (laughs) You want to write a book? I'm your girl. I can tell you how to do it. What would you say were some of the most challenging aspects throughout this journey? You know, balancing work and raising a family and writing a book. It's, you know, I really enjoyed it and I went all in on everything. Right. But, you know, when I wrote the first book, my kids were teenagers. And so it was just, you know, a lot of time. Yeah. Super busy running to sporting events and you know i worked four days a week so i would get up early on friday kids would go to school i would write all day on Uh saturday i would tell the kids i am gonna lock myself in my room for eight hours and i'm gonna write you know right if if you're bleeding or a bone is sticking out yes otherwise but if not leave mom alone (laughs) (laughs) that's that's crazy you said that my very next question was um about balance and just like me doing this podcasting uh i love it i've been loving meeting with people i've been loving the research i've been loving all of it it's about my city but i also had to balance that with work you know home life and all that stuff so luckily my my wife and kids they see that i'm loving doing this and so it's not like i'm um you know sitting at sitting at the bar all night right it's all about balance folks Next, you'll hear another example of Lisa just diving in and doing something that's a bit out of her comfort zone. But the project aligned with her love of writing and her love of Notre Dame. This was a little crazy. I am not cooking my family. I don't cook. Well, How do you have time? I do cook, but I don't cook well. Um, They always make fun of me because there there may have been a holiday where I burned some noodles. You know, I'm not your girl. So... (laughs) <laughs> One of the football guys, Lee Becton, for years was like, you should write a football cookbook. And I'm like, hi, have you met me? Like, I don't, I don't cook, you know? Yeah. And so 2020 comes and everything's shutting down and, mm-hmm. and Lee's starting to bug me again. Like, this is the perfect time. We're all stuck at home. Mm-hmm. Write the cookbook. Okay, so I go to my husband and say, how do you feel about, I'm going to collect favorite recipes from football players. You're going to do the cooking. I'm going to do the photography and put this book together. And so that's what we did during the pandemic. 
I collected recipes from 44 Notre Dame football players, two coaches, two leprechauns, two student managers. So I got 50 recipes. That's crazy. We cooked everything. I did all the photography and I wrote a cookbook. Crazy as that is, you know. You have a new book that you're working on that's possibly coming out pretty soon. Is that right? Clover Goes to Notre Dame. You want to talk about it a little bit? So the cookbook came out in 2021. Uh Uh-huh. And then I'm I'm at the same time I'm writing a Notre Dame baseball book that I'm still working on. And then last fall, my husband's like, you should write a children's book about, you know, and I've kind of been toying with this a little bit. Uh huh. Um, I have a French bulldog. I work uh-huh. at Purina, so I'm. You know, we own a zoo. Right the animal thing right is very there. heavy in my life. Very pertinent. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, I'd like to write a book about my dog and her adventures on campus at Notre Dame on a uh-huh. football Saturday, and her name happens to be Clover. So she's a French dog with an Irish name. With a French school. <laughs> That's the fighting Irish theme developing here. There you go. And so my husband, you know, I'm like, I don't know anything about writing a children's book. And my right. husband says, Well, I have a very childlike brain. So here, let's do this together. So <laughs> Oh, that's cool. So he really helped. So he helped me, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Hey, you have a couple upcoming book signings. Is that right? I do. Um, Let's talk about it. I am hoping to have the children's book ready for September, but mm-hmm. it's possible it won't be ready till October. Hey. But of course, mm-hmm. I have four other books, so it's not like I'm showing up to book signings empty-handed. Empty-handed, uh, right. But I have a signing on the Friday afternoon of Ohio State Notre Dame weekend. I will be Big at weekend. the Hammes Bookstore at 1.30 okay. that Friday. And then I have another signing the Friday afternoon of USC weekend. I think Ooh, that one's at 3.30. Okay. Um, and then I've in the works of trying to find a location for a signing, probably Wake Forest. Because um, okay. I figure in November, people are going to be holiday shopping and a children's yeah. book yeah. and cookbook might be a hot commodity. So <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. All at the Hams Bookstore right on campus there? Yeah. Or the yep. one on, okay. So the right one on, on Notre campus. Dame Avenue there yeah. on campus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, folks. You heard when her book signings are. Head out and support. Notre Dame Bookstore on campus on Notre Dame Avenue on Friday, September 22nd at 1.30. That's the Ohio State weekend. And then on Friday, October 13th at 3.30, and that's the USC weekend. Also, you'll hear more about additional book signings as well. Next, I give Lisa two numbers to truly test her Notre Dame fandom. And she passed the test. When you hear these two numbers, 3130, does that spark any memories in you? Absolutely. (laughs) Talk to me. uh, You know, I had such a great four years at Notre Dame. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that was a fantastic game. I don't know. It's like, how do you pick what I my know, freshman year we were? Was that your freshman year? 88? Well, so, when, when? No, I started in 89. Okay. So, so you, oh, so you came right in the, they just had won the championship and they were yeah. 
So my senior the, in high school, the USC game was out in LA. So my dad, yes. had, at that point, mm. I hadn't even applied mm. to Notre Dame yet. So uh, we went to the game and then, you know. They saw won. Tony Rice beat Rodney yep. Pete. Oh, man. Love it. I know. So it was, you know, I got to Notre Dame. They were ranked number one. You know, I mean, I just had, you know, we had one year Tony Rice and three years of Rick Meyer. And, Rick Meyer, yeah. You know, if oh, I You had, were there right in the... Oh, yeah, if I had to pick my favorite game, I would probably say that Notre Dame Penn State snowball yeah. in '92. I mean, that was uh-huh. incredible. We were seniors, and so I played inter hall football for my dorm. And okay. that year, we went to the championship. The mm-hmm. Penn State game was on Saturday. Our championship game was Sunday. My parents happened Ooh. to be in town that weekend for the game. So they went to the game That's Saturday. Cool. Our game was in Notre Dame Stadium at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. <laughs> there was a lot of us uh, that were moving a little slow. You know, we may have had a late I, night. Um, I, I assume, yes. A little sweating a little bit, even though it was cold. The field was just a muddy mess after the snow the day before. So, and of course, I'm nose tackle. I sacked uh-huh. the quarterback. My dad was just so pleased. He went back to That's work. That's cool. My baby plays football in Notre Dame. That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. That's what a neat story, you know? And we um, won. So we got the option to buy Letterman jackets just like the football players. So I have my own That's Letterman cool. jacket that has a football patch that goes over the interlocking ND that says Inner Hall Football Champs. Okay. We got That's our nice. jackets in January. I wore it to class. And there's a football player sitting behind me. And I can hear him talking to his buddy. Who's she dating? Who Whose jacket does she have? And I turned around like, it's mine. <laughs> it's mine, buddy. My, I <laughs> that's funny. my jacket. That's, that's great. I knew when I started this podcast that the first Notre Dame football-related guest that I had on, that I'd share the story of what my family did during every football game during the legendary 1988 championship season. If Queen only knew. I think on your website, you mentioned Notre Dame football is much more than football. And so I totally agree. Uh, just a quick story about uh, about traditions man the the 1988 championship season i was when i was 10 years old and i was fifth grade and every saturday my dad would have my uncles over and all of us little neighborhood boys would just all football hype you know in the in the street and everything and we'd all watch the game together then after each game my dad blasted another one bites the dust And all of us little boys and all my whole family and uncles and everything would literally just dance around the house, dance around the yard and everything. And, and, um, and to this day, I mean, we hold that tradition, just we hold it so close to our hearts. Are there any uh, traditions around football that you kind of hold close to your heart with your family or your friends or anything like that? Yeah, my friends, you know, we always come back to South Bend at least once a year in the mm-hmm. fall. I mean, I think since mm-hmm. I started writing books, we've been coming back a lot more, traveling to a lot of away games. Yeah. But, you know, we always 
some of the pep rally Friday night, you know, try to do midnight mm -hmm. drummer circle and yeah. just tailgating. I think tailgating is such a rich yeah. tradition at Notre Dame. And it is. We have a pretty solid group that comes back every year. And it's, and now that, you know, I've reconnected with all these football players, our yeah. tailgate has morphed into, you know, all, yeah, it's like a who's who. who. <laughs> well, you're going to need to let me know where you're at then this year. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. This being a podcast episode whose main focus is on the fighting Irish of Notre Dame, we'd be remiss if we neglected to talk about pinch me moments. Phil, there's a lot of pinch cool. me moments that, yeah. you know, I never imagined that Coach Holtz would write four words for my books. I never imagined that I would be friends with people like Tony Rice and Tim Brown. And, you know, it's just That's awesome, incredible. And and the people that I've met, I, I got to spend an afternoon with Arab Parsegian. I got uh -huh. to spend an afternoon with Johnny Latner. I mean, the mm -hmm. people that I've met that <laughs> I never crazy. in a million years dreamed, you know, after the afternoon with Era, you know, my yeah. dad was at Notre Dame from 61 to 65. So he was there when Era came Era's to Notre Era. Dame. And I left, it, it was a golf tournament. I don't golf. And Era was uh -huh. at an age where he didn't golf anymore. And so I sat with him while everyone else went out and golfed and he just told stories. And I That's called cool. my dad and I said, you are never going to believe who wow. I just spent the afternoon. Like that was wow. probably one of the biggest pinch me moments. And then last fall, I got to introduce my daughter to Coach Holtz. So Aww. coach would just <laughs> randomly call me and say, what can I do to help you? Well, I'm not a favor asker. And, right. I, and I never knew what to say. And the guys uh -huh. would tell me, if coach calls you and asks how he can help you, he truly wants to help you. That's not yeah. lip service. You better have something ready. Okay. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. So my daughter gets into the University of Arkansas and we start uh -huh. having this conversation about how cool it is that Coach Holtz coached at Arkansas and he coached at yeah. Notre Dame. Uh -huh. So the fall that she starts school, I end up at this happy hour with Coach. And uh -huh. I go over and I grab him and I said, hey, Coach, I have a favor to ask. And he just lights uh -huh. up. So excited. What, what can I do? Yeah. And I told him. You know, my daughter is, gonna, is a freshman at Arkansas this fall, and he was super excited because a couple of his grandkids also went to Arkansas. Okay. And I, I said, when I was a student at Notre Dame, my dad would write me a letter every Sunday. And so okay. with my kids, I tried to carry over that tradition. Mm -hmm. And so I asked him, would you be a, a guest letter writer and send uh -huh. her a letter? Oh, he said, Absolutely. He asked me if I could send him like a resume of hers. Yeah. Which I have because she rushed a sorority and they all had to have resumes. Okay. Sent him this resume. He worked in all of her accomplishments into this beautiful letter. <laughs> and so I call her and I said, well, this week I knew he had mailed the letter. This week you're going to get a letter from a guest 
letter writer. It won't be from me. Well, she just assumed it was Grandpa because she knew that where the tradition had come from. Which she, would be cool. Right? That would be cool. She that gets the be. letter from Coach, and I get Coach this Holtz. phone call, and she is screaming. She's so excited. <laughs> so, flash forward, she graduated from Arkansas last year. And then last fall, I took her to Notre Dame for the uh -huh. Cal game. And Coach was in town for the weekend, and some of the guys were having drinks with him. One of the guys called because he knew Caitlin was with me. And he said, if you want to bring your daughter over to meet Coach, we're going to be here for another hour. Hop in the car. We like, right. we leave dinner early. We go over uh -huh. to meet Coach. And I introduce her. And he's just holding her hand and talking to her and asking her questions about Arkansas. He did the little woo pig with her. <laughs> and, you know, she's telling him how she's doing campus ministry. Mm -hmm. And he looks at me and he said, Mom, oh, you did really good. And that's cool. My best friend is taking pictures of us as we're talking to coach. And it's just incredible because the look on my daughter's face of just pure awe and joy That's cool. at meeting someone that she's heard so much about. Of course, through you, you guys. You know, yeah. for the last 10 years to actually meet him and kind of make that all come full circle was, was really cool. That is neat. That is cool. Man, you kind of took two things that, that you, you love doing. You're loving writing and then Notre Dame. And you combine them into one to follow your passion. What advice do you have for other people to take risks and follow their passions? I think my big thing is just, you know, throw something on the wall and see what sticks. I mean, I, mm -hmm. like I said, when my blog first started, I was doing all kinds of stuff, you know, that, and eventually mm -hmm. it kind of, you know, morphed into a lot of Notre Dame, but I had a lot of fun you know, writing the 80s music. And my yeah. husband and I love live music. So we try uh -huh. to see as many, there's still a lot of 80s bands out there holding on to some tours. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to catch as much live music as we can while they're still out touring. We just Doing saw it, right. Rick Springfield last week. And I had no idea that Rick Springfield was 74 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I, All those guys are. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I, I say chase your dreams. You know, we, Absolutely. my husband and I have done so many crazy things. We ran a bar. We had a fireworks stand. We just opened a restaurant a zoo. two years ago. Oh, you know, now so, a restaurant. And we've never had a restaurant before. You know, he comes home with this idea. I'm like, what do we know about running a restaurant? It's all right. We'll figure it out, you know. Hey, but only risk in life isn't taking one. Have an open mind and do yep. all the things, you know. <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of Round the Bend Now and Then. A special thank you to Lisa Kelly for sharing your journey and stepping out of your comfort zone, diving in, becoming an author, and writing what you are passionate about. Folks, visit her website, Echoes from Notre Dame Books.com. You can purchase any of the books that we talked about. Follow her on Twitter at Four Leaf Clover Girl to stay current on her books, her blogs, and everything in between. I included some of the links in the show notes as well. 
Folks, do me a favor. Leave a review on the podcast app that you listen to us on. Also, follow us on all of the socials. On Twitter, at RoundTheBendPod. On Facebook, RoundTheBend Now and Then. Email us. Reach out. RoundTheBend574 at gmail.com. As always, please share the podcast with those who you feel would like it. Join us again next time as we learn more about South Bend and Mishawaka's now and then.